Amen. If you'll remain standing for our scripture reading today, and it's uh, coming to you from a, a special guest, Tommy Jennings, via video. So if you'll stay standing, he's going to read the scripture for us. Good morning, Infinity family. I'd like to take this opportunity to say I miss you guys. I uh, wish I was there with you, but hopefully soon I'll be in the congregation with y'all. Um, Pastor called me, want me to read this verse, and I got to looking at it, and it really hit the spot. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. On that day, when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them to the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for Tommy. Thank you for continuing to watch over him uh, as he battles cancer. God, we also uh, thank you for Anthony Mabry and uh, his heart transplant last week. And we just continue to pray over him uh, and praise you for the miracles you're doing uh, in his life. God, we thank you uh, for the miracle that we get to read about and experience ourselves as you, the Lord, are the Lord over and in and through the storm. And uh, we pray, God, that the same power you displayed that day on the sea would be at work in our hearts and our lives and our church and our world today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The storm that uh, Tommy just read about, uh, we've all probably experienced in some form or fashion. Storms uh, can be powerful to watch as long as you're watching from a safe place, right? It's, it's fun to watch a storm when you're inside and looking out a window. Uh, it's not so fun when you're caught out in it. Even driving in a storm can be pretty scary. Uh, it can be tough to be on a road, having to go down an interstate to the point where the, you know, the wind and the, the rain's blowing and you can't see, you lose vis visibility, that can be scary. But at least in a car, you're inside and you're on dry land. It's a lot worse if you're on the water, isn't it? If you've ever been there, you know that being on the water is not where you want to be in the middle of a storm. I, I grew up in the, in, in, on the Gulf Coast in Alabama, in Mobile, Alabama, so we did you know, occasional fishing out in the bay and out in the Gulf. And invariably, you always had to watch out for, for pop-up thunderstorms. And more than once, I can remember what's, you know, spotting a cloud coming our way, and we just giving it all we got to get back to shore in time so the storm wasn't too much. And, of course, more than once, the, the rain starts coming, the wind starts blowing, and big waves and little boats just don't match, right? You know, you, you go, and it's like every wave, you just bam, bam, bam. You feel like you're getting beat to death by every storm. And all the little rain pellets, which... You know, when you're, when you're outside on a beautiful day, they're just nice, pleasant. But when you're trying to go as fast as you can, they become little BBs on every single exposed area of skin. You know, it just tears you up. Tommy, this summer, uh, told me a story. He, he, you know, he's, he's battling cancer, the one that just read the, the scripture. 
And uh, he told me this summer he had an opportunity to go fishing. And I was excited for him because I was like, man, if anybody needs a break, if anybody needs to get away and have a fun, you know, great day out in the lake, man, Tommy's the guy. I'm just so glad for him. Well, I called him after he got back. I was like, Tommy, how did the fishing trip go? He's like, well, God's good, but it wasn't quite like I expected. They were tied up somewhere, and one of these pop-up thunderstorms came, you know, out of, out of nowhere. And uh, I guess it was like a charter thing or whatever. There was a captain, and they, uh, the captain said, just, just cut the rope wherever they were tied up. And immediately, the wind was blowing so hard, it just whipped the boat around. And so they start trying to go uh, against the storm, thinking they could make it behind an, an island that was there. Maybe that would give them some relief, but they, they couldn't. They were just getting beat over and over, you know, with this huge storm. And so they turned to try to make it back, you know, to the dock. And Tommy said he literally was on his knees praying. It was this, one, of the most, one of the scariest times he's ever had uh, of just trying to, out in the lake, Lake Marion, trying to make it back to the dock. God did answer that prayer. He made it safely back, as you could see, because on the video. But, you know, he, he, he says that was just a really terrifying time. And I don't know if you've had a, a storm like that on a lake or the, out in the ocean or something like that, but you've all had different kinds of storms, haven't you? You may not have been in the lake kind of storm with the wind and the waves, but you've all been through storms in life. We all know what those are like. You might not get caught in a wave and rain and wind storm, but we've all been through life's storms. Some of them are small pop-up thunderstorms that just come up for a minute and then pass. Others last seemingly forever, and they just keep going on and on. Sometimes we feel like we can handle it, we got it. Other storms just feel overwhelming and debilitating, and we wonder, are we going to make it? Storms may have come on your life or may come in your life in all different forms, things like sicknesses, losing a loved one, losing a job, divorces, failures, moral failures, addictions, bad choices, being let down or left out. There, there are countless kinds of storms that we may face from time to time, and sometimes we may think we're okay on our own. But all of us, at one point or another, have to come to realize we need help in the storms. We can't handle the storms of life on our own. And eventually we realize we need someone who's not just going to help us, but someone who is in control of the storm. We need somebody at the helm. We need somebody manning the ship. And that's exactly what we get in Jesus. This fall, we're going through the first half uh, of the Gospel of Mark. And we've been going through this account of Jesus' life as Mark tells it to us. And today we come to maybe one of the more famous miracles that Jesus does. It's short and it's simple, and yet it is so profound. It is deep and can impact our lives in tremendous ways. Jesus told His disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And then He takes a nap for the first part of the trip. The storm comes up and the disciples start to fear for their lives, so much so the, the water is coming in the boat. But Jesus keeps sleeping, so they have to come and wake Him up. And when He does wake up, when they wake Him up, He calmed the storm by just speaking to it. Peace, be still. That's all He had to say. And then the disciples were really afraid. because, And then they, what they said, what they asked was, Who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. Who is this? Now that, that is a very important question. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obeys Him? 
That, that's the question we've got to ask. That's the question we need to know the answer to. Who has this kind of power? Does The disciples have been with Jesus for three and a half chapters. I don't know how long that was exactly, but to this point, three and a half chapters. They had seen miracles. They had seen the things He had done for the leper and the paralytic. and He had seen demons cast out. But when the disciples saw this, it gave them a pause. This was different. This wasn't like the other ones. This was a different level of power. And it was terrifying for the disciples. And this short account, this short miracle, I, I want you to see three, three truths and an application. Three truths and an application. The first truth comes from Jesus' answer to that question that the disciples asked. Now, you'll notice in the passage, He doesn't actually answer it, but the miracle itself is the answer to their question. They ask, who is this that the wind and the sea obeys Him? This is who Jesus is. He is fully God. Who Jesus is, He is fully God. What the disciples, um, what startled the disciples so much is that no mere man can tell nature what to do. Right? You, you and I don't have that control. And it's not like Jesus is some sorcerer who conjures up a spell or waves a wand. Right? He just speaks and nature itself listens. And that gets the disciples' attention. He didn't lift a finger. He didn't wink an eye. He just spoke. And there is only one explanation for that. This is God. This is God Himself. And He's in the boat with the disciples. Think back to Genesis 1, the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did He do it? He just spoke. The third day of creation, it says, And God said, not lifted a finger, not... You know, whatever. He said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called the seas. God spoke in creation, and land happened, and the seas happened. He speaks, and they obey His voice. And here is Jesus speaking, and it's obeying His voice. This summer we looked at Psalm 107 for a couple weeks, right around Father's Day. And that psalm describes how God delivered His people in all different kinds of ways. And all the, the way through, it's giving credit to the Lord. And we talked about how the Lord there is in all caps or small caps in your English Bible because it's referencing the divine name of God, Yahweh. This is the Lord of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Psalm 107 is praising Him for all the ways He delivers His people. And one of the ways is it talks about a group that's out on the ocean and the waves and the storm are so big that the, the ship is going straight up to heaven. It looks like it's going all the way up and then it goes down to the, to the depths of the sea, right? It's this big storm. And then in Psalm 107, 29, it says, He, referencing the Lord, Yahweh, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. This is telling a story from back in the Old Testament. God spoke and it calmed the sea. And here's Jesus, a man who's been walking around the Sea of Galilee, teaching and working miracles, and the disciples are looking at him and saying, he, he's, he's in the boat. That God, the one we've been thinking about, praying about, going to synagogue, worshiping for their whole lives, he's, he's in the boat with them. And they're terrified. They are Jewish disciples. They know the Scriptures. They knew who this was. And here in Mark 4, this Jesus they've been following, He, he, just, he just did that in a way that they realized this is, this is something new. 
Notice in verse 27, the storm is called a great windstorm. Great windstorm. And then in verse 29, it says there is a great calm. It's the same word in English, same word in the original. The, the peace and the tranquility after the storm, they're saying, the disciples are remembering, that, that peace and tranquility was equal in greatness to the greatness of the wind during the storm. Like we think to a storm, we think of the power of a storm. We know what that's like, the power of a windstorm. The disciples are saying equally as great, same word, great was the calmness, the stillness after the storm. Disciples, that's what they remember. Verse, verse 39 says, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. He speaks to both of them, both the wind and the sea, and both of them listen. Do you notice that? He said, when he spoke to the wind, it, it stopped. And that is amazing in itself, isn't it? I mean, he spoke to the wind. It's, I don't recommend trying that at home. You'll just look foolish. You know, we, we, we use the, the phrase shouting into the wind to reference you're doing something that is futile. It's useless. There's, there's no point in shouting in the wind unless you're God. When he shouts into the wind, things happen. It stops. That's incredible. But after the wind stops in a storm, you know what the sea does, right? I mean, these big waves, it takes a while for that all to kind of, you know, slowly kind of, you know, evens out, right? Not here. Not here. It says, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And the word calm, that word, you look up in the, 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 the concordance, the, the, I mean, the uh, dictionary for the original words here. The word used for calm here means an unruffled surface on a body of water. So he speaks, not only does the wind stop, but the waves, whoo, still. You've, been on a, you've seen a, a glassy lake where you can see the reflection, right, of whatever's above it. Imagine what that had been like. One moment, the waves are so high, they're pouring into your boat. And the next moment, at a word from Jesus, the wind stops, the rain stops, and the water is like glass. That's power. That is divine power. It's only God who has that kind of power. Starting here at the, the end of chapter 4, and then going forward, where will be the next two weeks? Mark, uh, these, these three sections together have, have a lot in common. I want you to see this before we even, we even get there. In today's passage, you know, he calms the storm. He has power over nature. Uh, in the next passage, he heals a demon-possessed man, so he has power over over all spiritual forces. And the one after that, he heals a woman who has been sick for 12 years, and he brings a little girl who's 12 years old back to life. So he has power over disease and death itself. In all three of these accounts, Jesus interacts with, with people who are completely helpless. They cannot help themselves. They have no power to control their circumstances. And the way he, he does it, is the way he, he does the miracle is he's overcoming their fear and calling them to faith in all three of them. And all three weeks display his incredible power. All, well, we'll do in three weeks. All three of these passages, well, we'll see in the next three weeks. So all three of the next, I'm just giving you what's coming, right? Just preview here. It's all going to be about God's power. And though I certainly can't take credit for planning this, I'm just you know, preaching through, I don't believe it's any accident that these three weeks are going to land right around the November election. Up to it and the week after, all declaring the power of our Savior. It is a very healthy reminder to all of us 
that there is one Lord and Savior who is in charge of all things. He has been long before this election started, and he will be forever after this election is over. Everybody, is, everybody in the whole nation is stressed about an election, right? And right now, Jesus is still on the throne. After the election, just over half of America is going to be elated and excited and you know, feeling like they're on top of the world and everything's okay. And just under half of America is going to be in total despair. And it's like the world is ending, right? It's coming. You know it's coming. You know what's still going to be true? Jesus is still going to be on the throne. There is one Lord, one King, and one Savior. Our world has, has elevated politics to the point where it feels like there is a, we're, we're looking to somebody, a man, and a political party to be a Savior. It's not going to happen. Jesus is the only Savior. There's no doubt the election matters. It's important. It's absolutely important. But we've got to keep perspective on who's in charge. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. There is no power beyond His, above His, beyond His. There's only one who can speak to the wind and the waves and people with demonic powers and a woman who's sick and a child who's died. There's only one who can speak and change everything. And His name is Jesus. And that is really good news. Really good news. At least we hear it as good news. The disciples that day, they didn't quite understand it as good news yet. You saw that they were terrified when this happened. They didn't quite seem to think it was good news. It's almost comical when you read it. I mean, they are afraid before the storm happens, but then afterwards is when it says they were afraid. Remember verse 37, it's called a great windstorm and a great calm in 39. And yet in verse 41, it says they were filled with great fear. (laughs) Their great fear, their biggest fear, comes after the storm is calmed. Why would, why would they do that? Why, why are they more afraid after the storm is calm, calmed? I, I think what's going on here is the disciples are showing us in their lives the same thing that happens in our lives. This is what we fear. We fear not being in control. We fear not being in control. We saw who Jesus is. He's God. And then we got to see our fear. Our fear is that we lose control. The disciples were afraid of the storm. They didn't have control over the storm. But then when somebody shows up who's better than the storm, they're more afraid of him because he's got more power. And they're terrified because that means they don't have control. That's what they're afraid of. All of us know the idea of being afraid of the storm, literal and figurative storms. When circumstances come that are hard and seem overwhelming, we understand what it is to be fear, to be fearful of that. Literal storms, we, we can't stop them, can we? You know, you watch the, the, the Weather Channel, and they can tell you all kinds of interesting facts about an upcoming hurricane, right? They can give you all these barometric pressures and speeds and wind speed and the, the, the water that surge that's going to come in. They can tell you all kinds of information, and none of it can stop the storm. We can't stop storms. We're, we don't have the control. And that's, that's when fear creeps in. That's when fear comes, is when we realize we, we don't have control. We're tempted to fear. The same, things happens, same thing happens in all the storms of our lives, right? We're, we're okay as long as we think we know what's coming next, and we think we can handle it, and we think we've got the power, and we're, we're okay as long as we think we know. But when we start to realize we don't actually have control, we don't actually have power, that's, that's when we're tempted to fear. 
The disciples feared for their lives because they couldn't stop the storm. And when Jesus stands up and he tells the storm what to do, they realize they don't have control over him either. And they're fearful of that. Do you know why this storm came up on the lake? Did the disciples do something wrong that, that led to this storm? Well, no, it was Jesus' idea. He said, let's go to the other side. And he knew between here and the other side there was a storm, right? So it wasn't the disciples did anything wrong. I mean, sometimes we do bad things, and bad things come as a result of that. If you get caught cheating on a math test or something in school, you might get a big zero, and that hurts as punishment. Bad things do happen when we do bad things. I get that. But many times, the sufferings, the hard things, the storms that come, they aren't because we messed up. We didn't do anything. Maybe, maybe this one is like the story of John chapter 9, where, where a man is born blind, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer is, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Something similar is probably my best guess for why there's a storm in Mark 4. It's, it's displaying God's power. But that's all I can give you is my best guess because it doesn't say why the storm came. It just came according to God's plan, apparently, because He's in control of this. Many times in life, that is true of the storms we face. They're according to God's plan and we don't get the why. Sometimes you come through a storm, you come through a hard season in life, you come through a challenge, and you can look back and you can see things you learned, you can see things God did, you can see His, His purposes in hindsight, but sometimes it just doesn't all add up. You still get to the end of it and you say, why God? Wouldn't there have been an easier way? If this was the only thing you're trying to accomplish, couldn't you have just like written me a letter? Well, I guess He kind of did that, but you know. He, he, you ask why. We ask why a lot. And many times we don't get the answer. Tim, Tim Keller helped me understand this, and, and I think he's, he's right on point with this. You know, we, we all, when we face a storm, we all want somebody to be in control of it, right? Like we're glad that God is powerful enough. The God that Jesus has the power to tell the wind and the waves what to do. But you realize what comes along with that, right? If he has that power, then that means he's bigger than us, and we can't fully understand Him. But we want it both ways, don't we? We want Him to be big enough to where He can control the storm, but small enough where we can understand and we can be on the inside. And Tim Keller says you can't have it both ways. Either He's big enough and powerful enough to stop the storm, and we don't always understand Him, or, he doesn't, or we can understand Him because He's small, but then He won't have the power to, understand, the power to stop the storm. I was so moved by that this week. I, kept, I shared that a few times, and I shared that with Jimmy when I was him, with him this week. And he immediately said, I would much rather have a God who's big enough to control the storm, even if I don't always understand Him. But that is hard, isn't it? When, when we're going through the storms in our lives, we want to know, why God? Why this? Why like this? Why does it happen? God may give us an answer. He, he may show you some, some, some truths, things that come, you know. But many times, he does not. We don't get the answer. We get mad, we get angry, we get frustrated. But the truth is, Jesus' power isn't manageable. His power is beyond us. It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. So, of course, we're not going to understand it. Jesus could sleep during the storm because he knew he was in control. He had it. 
And if we knew he was in control, the disciples probably could have gotten some more rest that night too. Now be clear, Jesus is not telling you that every storm you face, he's going to stand up as soon as you ask and say, peace, be still. The rest of the Bible is clear on that. Take, take just the Apostle Paul. He shares in 2 Corinthians 11 uh, some of the hard life experiences he's been through. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 24, 25, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. So Paul, who was on missionary journeys sent by God to go plant churches and evangelize the nations, three different times was in a storm that it didn't work out so great. Like, his ship was wrecked. And one time he had to float all night and all day. The storm didn't just stop for him. He had to drift in those waves up and down. And he said, well, he made it out alive. Stephen, Acts chapter 7, as he's telling his story, he gets stoned for being a Christian, for following Jesus. God doesn't promise to always calm the storm, but He promises He's always with us in the middle of it. Sometimes He calms the storm, and sometimes He just comforts us by being in the boat with us through it. Sometimes God saves our lives, and sometimes God uses our, even our deaths to bring glory to Him. God's the God of the storm, which means we don't always understand but we can trust that He's in control and that whatever comes, He will be glorified. That's what Philippians 1.21 can say, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. Whatever happens, live or die, it's all to God's glory. Elizabeth Elliot is the widow, was the widow, she has since passed away, but was the widow of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary who was killed in Ecuador when he was there trying to witness to an indigenous tribe and uh, she wrote this. She said, God is God. If He is God, He is worthy of my worship and service. I will find rest nowhere but in His will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what He's up to. I have no idea what God's doing, but I'm going to worship Him anyway because He's in control. And He's God. We cannot manage God's power. That's what terrified the disciples. They, they didn't have control. And they sinfully were afraid of Jesus. And it's because they, they didn't fully get this. That yes, He's in control. Yes, He has the power. But He also loves us. He loves us. Like Aslan. No, of course He isn't safe. But He is good. He is good. How, how do we know that? One of the keys to understanding this, this simple mer miracle comes in a very clear connection in the Old Testament. And I don't know how many times I had read this miracle before I, I saw this connection. But it's the kind of things like, you know, those little, uh, those little diagrams on the wall that look like just, just dots. And you stare at it long enough, and then once you see the picture in it, you can't not see it. Now, every time I, I read this, all I hear is Jonah. Jonah. Do you see the connection? Do you know Jonah's story enough to see the connection in what Jesus just did into the Old Testament story of Jonah? Both Jesus and Jonah go out on a boat and a storm comes up that threatens the safety of everybody on board, right? Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep during the storm and must be woken up. Both times the crew of the ship says they're going to perish 
And interestingly, the same Greek word for perish in the New Testament is the same Greek words used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Jonah chapter 1. They both think they're going to perish. When the sailors awake, both Jesus and Jonah, the crew expects them to be the one to figure out what's going on and to stop it, right? And in both cases, the people on the boat are more afraid after the storm stops than when it begins. Coincidence? No, not at all. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and Mark had figured that out by the time he records it. So they're, they're pointing us back. This is, this is retelling Jonah's story. So what's, what's the point? Why, why would he be doing that? Why would Jesus be pointing back to Jonah? Well, what's the big difference in the story? Jonah, why is he on the boat? He's on the boat because he is sinning against God and running away from God's plan. And so because of that, he deserves to die. And the only way the storm is stopped in Jonah's story is that Jonah sacrifices his life by voluntarily saying, throw me in the sea, it's the only way it's going to stop. Right? So the difference is that Jonah had to give up his life to stop the storm. All Jesus had to do was speak. He didn't have to give up his life. Or did he? Back up from that story just a little bit and zoom out from the rest of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 12, religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask for a sign. They want another miracle. He's putting on a show. Show me another one of your your miracles, Jesus. I want to see what, what you're up to. And Jesus tells them no more signs will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. Jesus says that. He quotes on his mouth Jonah's name. What's the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was basically dead. He was thrown into a, the middle of an ocean in the middle of a storm. That's a death sentence. He, he's being killed. So basically he's dead. Of course, God comes and intervenes with a big fish, right? But for all intents and purposes, Jonah is in the belly of a fish. He's dead. It's like a tomb. But for Jesus, he actually did die and go into the ground, dead. On the third day, Jonah is spit back out a type of resurrection onto the land. And for Jesus on the third day, he comes back to life walking out of the tomb. Jesus didn't have to sacrifice his life to calm the wind and the storm in Mark chapter 4, but Jesus promised that he would calm much greater storms and much bigger ones. And for him to calm the ultimate storms, the greatest storms, Jesus had to be willing to pay a very high price. And he did just that. By giving up his life. That's the price Jesus paid to calm the storms, is that he gave up his life. Jonah volunteered to be thrown overboard into the sea because of his own sin. Jesus volunteered to go to the cross for our sin. To calm the storm and the sea on the Sea of Galilee that day, all Jesus had to do was to speak, but to calm the storm of our eternal condemnation of the wrath that we deserve, that we deserve to have poured out on us for all of eternity, to calm that storm, Jesus gave up His life. Jesus' crucifixion was a far worse storm than what the disciples saw that one night on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had the power to stop the cross storm too, but He chose not to. He chose to go through it so that we can know that all of our storms ultimately will be stopped. He went through the storms so that in the final day, you and I don't have to face the storm. We get peace. We get calm. 
The sea in the ancient world represented chaos and evil. It was a symbol of all kinds of destruction. And in Revelation chapter 21, John gets a vision of eternity. I never noticed this till this week. It says, Then I saw new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I don't know if literally there will not be an ocean. What he's talking about is that the sea and all the chaos and evil that it represents will no longer exist. Because Jesus calms the storms of eternity forever. He's calming them all because He paid the price on the cross. That vision was so powerful because it shows us the ultimate way that Jesus came and what He came to accomplish. There will be no storms in eternity with God. It will be peace with Him. The crucifixion and the resurrection prove that once and for all. So that's the three truths for you. What's the application? It's got to be obvious by now. Faith. you got to trust this guy. How we should respond is in faith. We have seen who Jesus is. He's fully God. We've seen what we fear, not being in control. We've seen what Jesus paid, His life. So, of course, how we should respond is say, I trust you, Jesus, above anything and everything. When Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, He then also went and turned and rebuked the disciples, didn't He? In verse 40, He says, Why are you so afraid? You still, what, you, 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 uh, you still, have you still no faith? Jesus expected for His disciples to have gotten it, at least more. He expected them to have more faith than they had at this point. But again, all they've had is three and a half chapters of Jesus' miracles and teachings. We, we have a whole lot more than that. And yet, so often in our storms, we are so quick to lose faith. Jesus probably could say the same thing to us more often than not. Why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? If even the, this, this, this is your take-home lesson for today. This is what I want you to remember. If even the wind and the sea obey Jesus, we can trust Him in every storm. If even the wind and the sea obey Jesus, we can trust Him in every single storm that we face. Now, does that mean the storm is going to be calm and still every single time, just the way we want it? No, no, no. But we trust that He's in control because of the power He displayed and because of the cross we know His love. He proved His unrivaled, unmatched power that day on the sea. And on the cross, He proved His unrivaled and unmatched love. In verse 38, the disciples didn't get it. They said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They did not know that He loved them. They didn't see it. They had no idea. But when we face the storms in life, we have the cross, the empty tomb, to prove His love. To have faith is to have confidence in His saving power. He could certainly save you from the circumstances, but He might not choose to do that. But we trust that He's in control. If even the wind and the sea can obey Jesus, then we can trust Him in every single storm. Tommy Jennings, the one that read the Scripture for us at the beginning, he told me that that day after he got home safely from being out in the storm on Lake Marion, it was just one more testimony that he never has any reason to doubt. That was his take-home lesson that day from that storm. He never has any reason to doubt. And that's a very valuable lesson for a man who's battling cancer and has been battling cancer for this whole year. He is having to deal with lots of ups and downs in life like the waves that toss us up and down. He's had victories and he's had disappointments throughout this entire 
process this year. But for anybody who's been walking with Tommy and watching Tommy, brother, I know you're watching today. For anybody who's been walking with him through this, he has kept the faith. He has trusted that God's in control. Just a couple weeks ago, before he went into the hospital for this more intensive chemotherapy, that he had to be in there for three days, uh, I, I talked to him before he went in, and he said, well, what, what you always hear Tommy say is, God's got this. Right? That's what Tommy keeps saying, God's got this. But before he went in the hospital, uh, he said, what he told me was, he's trusting God because he said God can heal him. God, God's more powerful than this, this cancer. He can heal him. He said, or God can bring me home to him in heaven forever. So either way, I win. <laughs> That's faith. That's faith that he's that God's in control and that God loves us enough to do what's best for us. That's faith. It's so hard to live, but he is absolutely right. If even the wind and the sea obey him, we can trust him in every single storm that we face. Today, for the first time in 2020, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a way of remembering and celebrating that act of love what Christ has done for us. So we're going to prepare the table, and Aaron's going to begin to, to play for us. And I want to give you just a moment to, to sit quietly and to prepare your own hearts. Where, where are you with God today? Where, well, how is God speaking to you, and how is He leading you to trust Him by faith?